0: Hey, what's up everybody? This is Jay. Uh, Before this episode, I just wanted to explain kind of what's going on this week. We're doing something a little bit different. A podcast that I edit for, called Rocking the Suburbs, invited us to do three guest episodes for them this week. And we elected to do them on a musician who's near and dear to our hearts, Mr. Frank Zappa. So yeah, this was the last episode that we recorded for them. We tried to just do kind of a laundry list of all the stuff that we'd didn't get a chance to fit in in the earlier episodes. I hope you guys really enjoyed this week. We certainly had a lot of fun, and uh, thank you to Nick and to Greg, and keep listening. We'll be back to uh, normal, as normal as we get. (laughs) You should check it out, content, uh, starting next week. Enjoy, guys. Here's episode three. Today, on Rockin' the Suburbs. Hey, Nick, what's the ugliest part of your body? Hmm, It's Uh... definitely got to be his nose, right? Oh. I was going to say it's your toes.
1: I I think it's my mind.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right.
1: I didn't know that was an
0: option. <laughs> Welcome to Day 3 of You Should Check It Out, Invades, Rockin' the Suburbs.
1: If you're still listening, thank you.
0: You Yeah, we'll we'll carry a couple people through this third episode, hopefully. But yeah, this is Rockin' the Suburbs. My name's Jay Rossman. I'm Nick Klein. And I'm Greg Lohman. Jim and Patrick are on a break, I assume in Cancun, sipping Mai Tais on a beach somewhere. And we're filling in for this week. This is Day 3. I think this will be the Friday episode of our deep dive into Frank Zappa. Yeah. Mm. Uh, We've covered a lot of ground. We've uh, talked about Zappa as the rock star. We've talked about some of the people he's played with.
1: Origins and influences. Right, right.
0: Um, Some of the things that make him tick. And uh, the original goal for this episode, I think, guys, was to talk about his compositional style, uh, some of his instrumental works, talk about the avant-garde and music concrète.
1: The serious stuff, stuff, yeah.
0: The serious Mm. stuff, right. Zappa as serious composer. But we got to this point and, and we kind of realized that all of us had a bunch of stuff to say that we didn't really cover. <laughs> so hmm. um, I, I think we're going to try to shut up a little bit more this time and let the music speak for itself.
1: I'm down for that.
0: So first, I was thinking last night, I was laying in bed thinking about Zappa as, as I'm wont to do. Creepy. One of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize about Zappa is that he, ha- he actually has a pretty good ear and sensibility for making... "Quote unquote," pretty music, and mm-hmm. honestly, some of some of the uh, tracks that I like best, and I know Nick that that you like, and, and Greg that you like best, are some of his kind of softer, prettier instrumental tracks. Sure. So mm-hmm. I just thought I'd yeah. play a couple here real quick. I'm going to start with one of one of the ones that I first became aware of when I was living. I lived in Baltimore for quite a long time, and a friend of mine and I we uh, we made a mix CD of a whole bunch of songs that either contain Baltimore in the title or talked about Baltimore. So there was like Randy Newman's Baltimore and mm-hmm. there was George Harrison has a song called Baltimore Oriole, which is hilarious if you never heard it. <laughs>
2: hmm.
0: um, oh yeah, that's right. And uh, through the course of, of finding that, I found out that Zappa has a song called What's New in Baltimore. Really, really kind of ambitious, neat sounding song that I actually learned to play on guitar and uh, played it for a... For a concert when I was still back in school, are you guys yeah. familiar with this song? Yeah, actually, it actually—it
1: no. started out as an instrumental, and then, um, and then when they would do it live, they actually he had like Willa sing "What's New in Bal "Hey, What's New in Baltimore." What's but New it's actually an Baltimore. instrumental track to begin with. It's a, it is a great song. Oh, right on. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I want to hear it. Well, Asking you shall receive. Uh, this is "What's New in Baltimore." This is a live version that's uh, off of a compilation called "You Can't Do That on Stage Anymore." volume five. It's a, like a five minute long song, but I want want everybody to hear the end of it. So I'm going to kind of start in the middle so you get taste of, of both parts, so you know what we're talking about.
2: Robin lips
1: what's that is a that is a great song the original I think he does on the Sinclair. Um, yeah. which is yeah. this machine? This machine that he—I guess it's really it was really just like a fancy MIDI yeah sampler. Yeah, well, yeah. Wow. I mean,
0: it seems kind of silly to talk about that now because of what's capable now. But you know, back in the late '70s, early '80s, there was yeah. just nothing like that. Kind of like
3: a like a, a player piano, essentially. Yeah, maybe. Yeah.
0: But, but he
1: could customize player. the samples, right? He could sample anything and then add it to his to the roster of things. He, yeah. So yeah. for him, it was just this amazing toy. Uh, but um, sure. So if we're on the if we're on the uh, theme of pretty songs, yeah. um, I think I think "Outside Now" is <sighs> one that I absolutely adore. Specifically, the the version from a live album called Broadway the Hard Way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Here's "Outside Now" from Broadway the Hard Way. Mm.
2: These executives that blew the out of me And there's still a long time to go Before I paid my debt to society All I ever really wanted to do was play the guitar and bend the string like I've got it I'll be selling and withdrawn I'll dwindle off into the twilight realm of my own secret thoughts I'll lay on my back until dawn in a semi-catatonic state and dream of guitars that would irritate an executive kind of guy. I won't have to live in this ugly f***ing room.
0: man I I love that song that was one of those the song that we played yesterday uh, murder by numbers it was Mm -hmm. that and then it was like this great moment from the album because it was uh, stolen moments going into murder by numbers going into this little snippet of Jezebel boy and then it would go into outside now man I just love that part of that album
1: yeah yeah Mm. takes a couple listens because it's all over the place you want to talk about more goofy stuff that live album is Mm -hmm. pretty silly (laughs) yeah but (laughs) But, um, it's just
0: like this like this this brilliant you know, people who accuse Zappa of not being serious or not being able to be yeah, emotional. Serious. I mean, just listen to that song; it's it's very emotional and very serious. But uh, Greg, did mm-hmm. you have any uh, examples of like I don't know, quote unquote, pretty Zappa music? Yeah, uh,
3: the first one that comes to mind is uh, it was one of probably his simplest uh, compositions, but uh, it's called Black Napkins, mm-hmm. and uh, it's off the record Zoot Allures. Right on. And I think that yeah, if you get if you give it a listen, you'll get the you'll get the idea. You'll probably understand why I think it's so pretty.
0: that man it's such a good example of some of his soloing style too oh yeah man
3: for some reason man when i got it when i heard that song i just i i think that's all i listened to for like a week and it's (laughs) only two chords back and forth right right but for some reason i just couldn't stop thinking about it yeah there's actually a lot of really cool versions there's another version that might be a little bit tough to dig up but if you're willing to to find it it's like live in philly in 76 oh yeah there's some girl in the band that does like it does, she does that thing that like Lala Hathaway, this current singer is kind of known for, like an R and B singer that can do sort of the Mongolian throat, oh wow, like multiple notes, <laughs> oh wow. like singing singing chords, yeah. you know. And she does that and <laughs> live in Philly '76, black napkins. Wow. you might want to find that. I found that one recently, and it kind of that was kind of mind blowing. Awesome. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah, you, you can also hear Terry Bazio, young, probably very young Terry Bazio, throwing in like a the busiest fills he can possibly think of <laughs> <That's> <laughs> in there yeah well, um, i think
0: i think i got it if we want to give it a spin this
3: is an orchestral version right on. um yeah this will kind of maybe help us segue into sort of the more avant-garde composing style that he eventually sort of blossomed into sure sure um as as his career was more stable i think he probably felt more comfortable just going there right And so this is another version of the same song, but now he's got an entire orchestra with him, as he described these players as LA's finest at the time.
0: I love the little i love hearing the glockenspiel and, and the tubular bells in the mm. background yeah.
3: yeah and i'll tell you what if if anybody wants to go find this that that last version it's on an album called orchestral favorites 40th anniversary and it, you can listen to black napkins there's actually a track before that where he, it's called, it's called black napkins instructions <laughs> and he in front of the audience explains to the orchestra how to play black napkins right, right. <laughs> because cuz they actually don't have the sheet music for it so he yeah. just kind of you know and you sort of get a peek into his that's, uh, that's awesome. his process of how he thinks about how he thinks about harmony right. Yeah, yeah and he's just like you know only the lower instruments can go from c sharp to to d but you know and, and you, you know the trumpets will stay on the on the ninth you know it's it's all you know <laughs> quick and brief but then you know he's like okay let's try it from the top and the, the orchestra just sounds gorgeous and you're like okay <laughs> this guy clearly knows what he's doing right yeah
0: i love that i love that part of him and he did that more and more especially as he got into the 80s where you know he had his stunt guitarists on stage so he had to rely less and less on, you know, leading the band from the guitar position. Mm-hmm. So he was able to mm-hmm. kind of uh, dig into a little bit more, you know, treating the band, even when it was just the rock band, as an orchestra of sorts. And if you've never oh, yeah. seen him conduct the band on stage, I mean, it's pretty incredible what what he's able to do because of these, how well he drills these musicians. In. And, oh, yeah. and you
1: quickly realize how much time and preparation they've put into this yeah. because he's got... Even even just his hand signals, right. Or he can make certain hand motions and that a very specific, you know, four or eight bar fill that the band has memorized that he can just toss anywhere in during the mix. And uh, yeah, Zappa as conductors, always just fun to watch, just to watch him in his elements.
0: It's incredible. Totally. And it's the product of being completely self-taught. You know, we mentioned that in the first episode, but I think it bears right. repeating. You know, this is not some guy who went to a conservatory and you know learned the right way to conduct. He just Mm -hmm. he probably figured it out. He figured it out for himself and figured out what worked.
3: Yeah, I I remember reading um, in the real Frank Zappa book early on when he was in Greenwich Village, kind of getting his thing going. That sometimes the audience would come in to to watch the band, and he was he had a a regular gig at a at a small place down there, and I can't remember the name of it. The audience would be there, and sometimes he'd say, "All right, you know what tonight?" I want you guys to be the band, and yeah. so he would mm-hmm. invite the audience to play the instruments, and then the band would sit in the seats and watch the audience, mm-hmm. and that was the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is just, you know, who would do, who would do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who does yeah. that? Right.
0: right. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty incredible anyway. what he was able to accomplish. Especially you think like the late '60s, even though it was kind of free love and hippie and and all that stuff, you know, they were still f- a fairly conservative society in general. But, you know, within a few years of his first album, he was able to have a a residency, you know, at some of the top clubs in L.A. and in New York. And it was, I mean, really by virtue of how entertaining his shows were, you know, Mm -hmm, a lot of audience participation, a lot of bad jokes about poop, funny, Mm -hmm. enlightening, entertaining. And so when you're able to combine relatively high brow slash avant-garde music with, Things that can Slapstick. keep that can <laughs> well yeah <laughs> things I mean, that can really, keep yeah. an audience entertained you know
3: and, and he cared a lot about the audience yeah yeah it's almost like a front like you, th- you think like oh this guy doesn't you know he's all self indulgent and he, you know but that's not the, that wasn't the case at all man he he ran that band and the business um the administrative part of it he ran it like a Republican yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> <I> mean, like <laughs> well, yeah. he was like he the, you know he was tough yeah the, and um. Uh, uh, you know, and it was all dollars and cents and uh, quality. He demanded quality.
1: Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Greg, thank you for mentioning the, the, the Real Frank Zappa book. He'd been trying, there, I guess some had been some publishers back in the 70s, 80s who had been trying to get him to write, uh, accept a biographer to write a story about him. <laughs> and they somehow coaxed him into kind of knowing his personality that, look, no matter what we do, he's going to want to redo it because he's not going to be okay unless it's his words. <laughs> so they got him to write a book about himself. And it is... Mm. A fantastic, fantastic read. It is so entertaining. Yeah. and also there's so many important artists that he touch that he meets and works with throughout his career that that he touches on and funny stories and anecdotes. but um,
0: yeah, I had mine stolen uh, at some point uh, uh, it's a drag, have have to drag man I haven't read it for 10 15 years now.
3: Yeah, he's, he's, there's stories about, like, Jimi Hendrix uh, hanging out at his apartment and his wife fixing Jimmy's pants. There's, uh, like, Duke Ellington. There's all kinds of rad stuff in oh, yeah. End.
1: But, yeah, so anyway, he actually he talks in there about his commissioning of the London Symphony Orchestra, um, which really is was just an opportunity for him to rant about unions. Um, <laughs> right. just, uh, I mean, it's, it's all, it's, it's, again, it's all tongue-in-cheek. It's funny. But, yeah, with Ensemble Modern um, and the Yellow Shark project,
0: So for those listeners who might not be familiar with the album, The Yellow Shark, this was a, an album that was released in 93 that was being recorded, Frank passed away uh, from cancer around this same time as in 93, and Mm -hmm. the the musicians kind of banded together and were playing a bunch of his songs. Uh, It's the Ensemble Moderne, who have have done a bunch of kind of more popular contemporary music, but you know, it's a full-fledged orchestra. By all accounts, Frank was really impressed with what they were capable of doing, and how truly and how closely they followed, you know, some of his more orchestral works. His scores, yeah. yeah. It's it's one of my favorite albums of his. It's it's really fantastic, and I try to get people to listen to it who might be into that kind of stuff. But sure,
1: especially if you if you take issue with the over silly stuff, it, it's a really good serious effort uh, that was put into to pulling off, you know, his works as he intended.
0: So. Uh, yeah, let's, pl- let's get back to the music. Let's play uh, one of my favorite tracks off of the Yellow Shark Ensemble. This one's called Lovingly G-Spot Tornado. We move on I, I i wanted to play another track off the yellow shark and this is an example of the style that he learned from edgar verrez and uh, edgar verrez's album ionization the style is i believe it's called music concrete where mm-hmm. the extreme version of it is pasting audio samples together and creating kind of more of a soundscape than melodic music right. uh frank loved to do that but i like this version the, the song is called the girl in, in the magnesium dress Pretty interesting stuff, I think.
1: So that's different. Uh, no, it's
0: <laughs> Reminds me of being at uh, oh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County.
1: I know, right? Yeah, yeah. that they have, a, they have a, a very serious new music program that, that we always found interesting and, and entertaining <laughs> for the wrong reasons sometimes. Sounds like
3: someone pushing a marimba down the stairs, you know?
1: <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Another track off of We're Only In It For The Money, which I've brought up a couple times throughout. Actually, I think it's got your guy in it, Jay, Eric Clapton. Yeah. Uh, does some voice work. And,
0: yeah, on uh, that album, it, if you look on the back, Eric Clapton is listed as a collaborator, but <laughs> well, you'll hear. Yeah, <laughs> right,
1: right, and, and I think he describes it in the book too. He he just had him in the studio and thought it'd be fun to have him <laughs> on the track. So this one's called uh, "Delicately Worded Nasal Retentive Calliope Music." That's right. Say that one <laughs>
0: three times. <laughs> <laughs>
2: God, it's God, I say God.
0: Go uh, you know at your next holiday party when things are starting to slow down a little yeah, bit yeah that's
1: a real toe tapper yeah definitely yeah, throw that one
3: a... or you know if you're uh, with a special someone
1: that's right <laughs> but I mean to that to that point the idea of music concrete right is you find acoustical recordings that you then assemble into a piece of music. Um, so he takes this concept which and that that, uh, that song was released in sixty eight.
0: Yeah. Um, we we just jumped from the end of his catalogue all the way back from the beginning. Right. And I just love that know. there's a there's a line there, you know, a direct connection.
1: Mm-hmm. A direct a direct line. I think that actually translates over to his, his project object concept.
0: Yeah. Why don't you describe it a little bit more in depth? I, I know we've kind of hinted at it but
1: Sure, sure. So he had this overarching theory of his of his body of work as a as an artist, which he called project object, which is everything I've done uh, everything I've recorded is in service to this overall project that is my Frank Zappa's canon, and it became a major po- part of his working process was going through and and evaluating live shows that they had had rec- that he recorded everything to find if there were elements of 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 those recordings or moments in those recordings that he could reuse as parts of of new songs or. To overlap in existing songs, we talked yesterday about the guitar solo that just took from a live mm-hmm. live uh, mm-hmm. track on Inca Road in Inca
0: Roads. And speaking of which, on the album cover for that, it's it's an illustration of just a bunch of inside jokes that are from previous albums and other inside right. jokes that that haven't even occurred on albums before. Right. So <laughs> you know, part of the project object was these recurring characters that would show up: Susie Cream mm-hmm. Cheese mm-hmm. and you know, Mister Green Jeans. It was a really interesting concept and and allowed him to be creative in a very cohesive way. If that makes any yeah, sense. I, yeah.
1: I think it gave him the ability to to play and not have to apologize if the outcome was anything other than what he decided it needed to be at that moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, um yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think he at a really yeah. early age in his in his career reckoned with his his self as an artist and decided that this was kind of how he was going to move forward. That everything was part of this 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 canon. It's all one big project. It. Yeah. It's all one big project. Awesome.
3: I think um, I remember him saying in in an interview that he thought of himself more uh, as an organizer than anything else. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've heard yeah. that before. Yeah.
3: Which is great because to me, uh, I can actually relate to that quite a bit. I'm you know maybe a little OCD about just try, you know just making sure that everything's <laughs> in its right place. Right. You know Sounds all perfect. that yeah. and. Right. Um, well, I just know that for myself when I heard him describe his artistry in that way. You know, so many times we think of like these geniuses as like very disorganized, mm-hmm. but actually it was the opposite with him.
0: Absolutely. Yes, yeah. everything
2: yeah. was cataloged.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Greg, uh, before we get going, we're kind of running out of time here a little bit. Is there any other last thoughts or anything that we wanted to mention that we didn't quite get to?
3: The only thing that I think might turn some people on um, about Frank Zappa that they might not know was how he took congress on in 1985 yeah, um yeah. about censorship when Tipper Gore was going after D. Snyder right. and Twisted Sister right. he st- he helped uh, defend you know music he was very passionately anti censorship yeah. you can go look it up on youtube zappa congress and it's he really that that's when you, that's when you really hearings. get a sense of how yeah. how how intelligent yeah. you know yeah and just to um, see Frank Zappa in a, was.
0: in a suit talking seriously to members of congress is just yeah I, I
3: when i first saw that it, again it, i was like well, i had no idea that he had that in him mm-hmm. so and
0: i know that the prevailing attitude at the time was oh this ought to be great we're gonna have all these dirty rock stars come in here and right, yeah right, exactly yeah. they're and probably gonna be hung over and, you know. and then frank just turned that on his head and just like hey i'm as smart as you guys probably smarter and i'm gonna tell you exactly how it how it is and how it should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: and and he's so eloquent and, and yeah. intellectual when he when he speaks, which, and, and for some people that might be a cool avenue. For some, if that doesn't...
3: Yeah, yeah, he, whether you agree with him or not, still the fact that he, you know, was passionate about this right. issue Absolutely. and educated and, like, went, and, you know, he didn't just walk the walk, you know. Right. And that was probably his most public... Oh, excuse pub- me, he didn't just talk the talk, you get know what I'm saying. Sure, <laughs> yes,
1: and, and that was probably his most public iteration of that but the guy had opinions on everything and
3: yeah, yeah. yeah he even went on so i think didn't he do like crossfire there was some yes. kind of oh political yeah show oh yeah, or, yeah. And, and somebody you know somebody gets really mad at, at him about something right. that he said i don't know right.
0: well what about you nick anything we didn't mention i know you said you had like 52 pages of notes going into these episodes
1: actually no i think we've i think we've covered a lot of what i was hoping we would we would cover mm-hmm. um I, I would like to say thank you so much to jim and patrick for letting us fill in while they're away yeah um, yeah thank you guys Jim, and, um, Jim and Patrick, and if you're a regular listener to Rock in the Suburbs, and you like what you've heard the last three days, we do have a, a weekly show called You Should Check It Out. You should check that it we've out. Just launched, and we'd love to know what you think about that. If if you're interested,
0: yeah, I so, mean we um, do kind of the same thing. You know, we just join us. <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> Thank you guys wow. so much. This has
0: been a lot of fun. I think, I mean, we got to go back to one size fits all, right? We talked about that. Of course. And if, if there is one, you know, enduring message, please go listen to that album. It's great. But this, and this also ties in Project Object, too, so this is perfect. Um, but before I get into that, I do want to say uh, thank you again to Jim and Patrick, and if you guys want to connect with Rock in the Suburbs, you can email them at rock at suburbspod.com. Find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Suburbspod, and if you want to check it out, you should check it out. We're out there on the internet. Just put it in the search bar. So, nice this song is called Sofa Number 2. And this is actually a um, a version of the song that appears earlier on the album it's called sofa number one hmm. <laughs> mm. this sofa number two is it's a remixed version of the same track that appears earlier on the album but they sound so vastly different you would mm. never know that so he just took some instruments out of the mix put some other ones in cleaned it up it's a beautiful song uh, I love it and uh, I love you guys and thank you for sitting here and hosting yeah. with me and uh, Jim and oh. Patrick will be back, back next week. In the meantime, here's Frank Zappa with sofa number two. Take it easy
2: guys. Peace.
1: I, awesome. I know I have at least two at my house, and I went ahead and grabbed. Are one, you the one who stole it from it. me? Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> there it is. Oh, that, no. Hey, it says it says 2J yeah. from Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> from Grandma. <laughs> no, that yeah, one's yeah, in yeah. much better shape no, it than mine was. <laughs> yeah, that the cover means, that was that just what I ripped
0: off mine.